0: So when I was in elementary school, uh, aside from recess, gym was my favorite subject. Now it's probably not much of a surprise that I was not overly athletic uh, when I was in in elementary school, but I did have one thing going for me. Uh, I hit my growth spurt about two years before everybody else in my class. So I was almost a full head taller than all the other boys in my grade. So because of that, uh, I could dominate, I could impose my will uh, when when uh, we were doing different sports in gym class, and so when teams got picked, usually I was one of the first ones that was selected and and so at my grade level, there were probably sixty to seventy kids, and I was kind of a big fish in a small pond. but then I got to middle school and in my community, there were four elementaries that poured into our middle school and and all of a sudden, my height and what little athletic ability I had no longer gave me an advantage. No longer was I one of the first few picked for teams. No longer could my, I impose my will simply by being taller than everybody else because no longer was I taller than everybody else. All of a sudden, I was a small fish in a big pond. And I have to tell you, it was a harsh realization. Like, life came at me fast when I entered into sixth grade, and and I was humbled. And there's this mindset, I think, in our culture that if someone really wants to have a life that matters, if somebody wants to make a big difference, to to make a big impact beyond themselves and beyond their household— You really have to be a big fish to do that. Now, for some, that's enticing. And so they strive, and sometimes beyond their capacity to achieve something big. And when they do that, it will validate them in the eyes of others. People will see them as a big fish in in an increasingly bigger pond. And we can look at those people and particularly uh, when they approach it in a certain way where they impose their will, where they assert themselves on the situation and, and we kind of think they're arrogant. Like who are they to impose their will? Who are they to think they can be something big? Unless they actually do it, right? They become that big thing and even then we might consider them to be arrogant but at least they're maybe able to back it up there's some that the mindset of needing to become a bigger fish in order to make a bigger difference that that it's intimidating that it's even frightening or maybe just not very appealing they would rather stay whatever size fish they think they are but remain in that smaller pond And we tend to classify those who don't strive to become big fish. We think of them as as humble. By thinking less of themselves, they show humility. But humility isn't just the decision to not go big. It's not an automatically, we can't automatically assign that motivation to their humility. There are other motivations that drive a reason to not go big. There may be some of us who've been conditioned to think less of ourselves, to not believe that we are capable of, of making an impact of being a bigger fish in, in whatever size pond we find ourselves in. We've been conditioned to accept lo- a lot in life that, that causes us to play small because of the way people have have treated us or the way people have talked to us or, or the way sort of culture understands us. I know particularly women are told by culture to play small. But I think striving towards becoming a big fish or running from becoming a big fish in whatever size pond we're in, I think both postures are problematic because I don't think one is arrogance, and the other is humility. I think both miss the point of what God wants to do in and through you and me. You can be a small fish, but you have a big God. We're entering into our third month of our Provoke Life Campaign where each month we're taking a deep dive into the vision that Jesus had for the community that we now call the church. This vision is found in the Beatitudes. The people Jesus described in the Beatitudes are the people that we should look for to engage with, they're the people that, that God is calling us to become as we follow Jesus and allow his words, works, and ways to define our lives. And so in, in December, the, the third month of this campaign, we're looking at the third beatitude from Matthew chapter five, verse five. Let's read it together. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So the word meek is just another word for humble. And we tend to define humility through outward behavior. People who deflect credit and, and don't seek attention. They talk about themselves very little and, and even think of, of themselves less. To the extreme, the humble person maybe even is a bit of a doormat. Just taking what life and the world throws at them without any kind of protest. It's the very opposite of what we believe arrogance is, which we also define as outward behavior that we observe, those who push forward with their opinions and ideas, who openly seek to advance and progress, those who aren't afraid of, of naming their, their giftedness. And if I'm honest, there's been times when, when I've been labeled that. Sometimes I display this behavior and I need to check myself because maybe I am being a little bit arrogant. But also in those moments, I'm tempted to, to just say, well, you know, there's no way that I'm arrogant because I'm the most humble person I know, which of course is arrogant. That's why it's a joke. But what we've defined as humility and what we've named as the opposite of arrogance, I'm not sure that that's always humility. Humility. I think it actually can be avoidance. Remaining whatever size fish you are in whatever size pond that you're in. Because here's the deal when Jesus shared his last meal with his disciples, and he he promised that when he would go away for good, he would not abandon his disciples. That when he left, he promised he would send what he called an advocate in his place. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit in John 14. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. And so in your baptism, the spirit descends upon you, takes up residence Inside of you, in your life, in your heart, in your mind, in your will, in your emotions. Now, the Holy Spirit is a full member of the Trinity God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So, if God is great and God by the Spirit lives inside of you, logically, we can say that there is greatness inside of you because God is there. And God is waiting for that greatness to come out. It's not that God is making you a big fish. It's just that God is a big God and wants to work through you and through me and through us together to make a big difference. And so when you and I turn inward in, in rejection of this cultural mindset to become a big fish in order to make a big difference, we're not wrong to, to reject that mindset. What we get wrong is the turn inward. That isn't humility. It's avoidance. But they're two sides of the same coin. Arrogance is not the opposite of humility. Arrogance is the opposite of avoidance. And both are grounded in a focus on self. When we advance in the world for the sake of ourselves, that's arrogance. When we turn in from the world out of sake for self, that is avoidance. And in our, in our Philippians reading, Paul talks about how the opposite of humility is actually selfishness. He says in verse three, don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility think of others better than yourselves. Now, when when Paul says better, he doesn't mean better in terms of value or worth, but in terms of regard for others' needs and perspectives over and above regard for your own. Taking your eyes off of yourself and placing it on others, following the example of of Jesus. Now, the outward behavior that we assign to humility that, that, that sounds very much like this, but there's a way in which the outward behavior that we assign to arrogance can also be what Paul is talking about here. Because anytime you a- a- advocate for the needs of others, anytime you put yourself out there and point to a different way of living, a different way of being, anytime you look beyond yourself and your own household and your own needs for the sake of others. You might do it brashly. You might do it boldly. You might do it with strength and with power. And people may look at you and they may say, gosh, who who does she think she is to speak that boldly, to speak that confidently? She must be arrogant. And what I would say to you is, no, that is still grounded in humility because it's not about, you're not advocating for you. You're advocating for those beyond you. You're working for those beyond you. You're leveraging your gifts, talents, and abilities for those beyond you. And that is very much the definition of humility. And it's what Jesus did. If anyone could claim the title as most humble person I know, it's Jesus, right? Like Jesus was the epitome of humility. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus was a big fish. He was the biggest fish and yet did not consider his status as a big fish to be something to exploit. He willingly went from the highest of of highs to become the lowest of lows, and why? So that you and I might be saved from our addiction to ourselves, whether that be in our arrogance or in our avoidance. And Paul tells us that Jesus was given the honor of every knee bowing and every tongue confessing that Jesus is Lord out of this humility. There were times when Jesus allowed the world to come to him and and, and, and was was sort of with his disciples and with those that, that he was on the margins that he was originally sent to and did not confront. And then there were times when he was very bold and very confrontational, and very challenging. And there were people in his day who would say, Where does he, who does he think he is? Where does he get this authority from? Which is just another way of saying, he's arrogant. And yet Jesus was advancing the kingdom of God out of, out of his own humility for the sake of us and for the sake of others. Jesus did not act out of arrogance. He did not act out of avoidance, both of which would would have been selfishness. He acted out of humility, placing our needs before his. And Paul says that that's who we should be like. But it's not something that comes naturally, right? It's not something that always comes naturally. Easy. It's one thing to say that we follow Jesus, that his words, works, and ways define our lives. But, but there are times when we just aren't sure we have it in us. To set aside what we would turn inward and want for ourselves or what we would advance on our own behalf. It's not easy to set that aside and live up to that calling that Jesus has placed on our lives and sometimes deep down in ways that we don't want to admit in church not only are we not sure that we can do that we're not sure that we really want to we're not sure that it's something that we would choose for us because to do so would be to would require us to deny ourselves to take up our cross And that just sounds really hard. That's why it's so important what Paul says at the end of Philippians, the reading. He says, starting in verse 12, carry out your own salvation with fear and trembling. God is the one who enables you both to want to and to actually live out his good purposes. God is the one that enables you to even want this, and then to be able to do it. In other words, in humility, not in arrogance, not in avoidance, we're called to live as small fish, but to also trust that we have a big God, a big God who has placed greatness within you and I. A big God who wants to work in and through you. A big God who doesn't need you to be a big fish, but who gives you the clarity and the confidence to just be you. You don't need to try and find that clarity. And you don't need to drum up that confidence. God enables you to want that clarity and confidence. And to live from that place. Of clarity and confidence you can be a small fish but you have a big God and you know there was a point in our lives where we were good at this there was a point in our lives where we were perfectly comfortable being small fish and we're trusting in a big God came as natural as breathing it's when we were kids right In Matthew 18, Jesus is approached by a couple of his disciples and they want to know who the greatest in the kingdom of God would be. Who would be honored by God? Who would be the ones to inherit the earth? And in Matthew 18, Jesus tells them, he says, those who humble themselves like this little child will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And here's the thing about kids. Like when they have a need they're not shy about it, right? Like they let you know what they need, what they want. So many days I come home from work and I, and I open the door and it's literally the door cracks open and immediately I hear, daddy, daddy, is that you? And then following that, there's this onslaught of, you know, I need a hug or I need, a, I need help with my homework or my sister did something to upset me and I need you to resolve it or take my side. Like the onslaught of need comes, And Jesus said, that's how you and I are to be. To be humble. To be meek. To lead with your need. To lead with my need. That's going to be our theme in December. Lead with your need. And we're going to talk about what that looks like in the coming weeks. And and it's not about leading with your need in a a self-seeking way. To be a big fish. It's not about come out of arrogance or even out of avoidance, but to simply embrace that you are a small fish, but that you have a big God and you need that God to do in and through you what you could never do on your own. During the Advent season where we honor the waiting for God to show up. God says it's only when we embrace childlike faith that we will receive what it is that we're waiting for. Just as it was a hard reality for me to arrive to sixth grade gym class and realize I was not the tallest kid in the class anymore. I would would no longer be able to impose my will and I would no longer get picked first. Sometimes it is a hard reality to embrace. That God is calling you out of your arrogance or out of your avoidance, out of your selfishness and my selfishness into a humble surrender of our lives to God. That you and I are small fish, but being small fish does not diminish how big God is. That God is within us, that God is working through us that you can be a small fish, but you have a big God. And when you humble yourself in this way and allow the words, works, and ways of Jesus to define your life by embracing childlike faith, you will be blessed to inherit the earth. And the earth will be blessed by God's people allowing the big God, to work in and through them. And so just a couple of questions to think through as we prepare to close. Is your struggle with arrogance or with avoidance? Is your focus on the advancement of self or the protection of self, of playing small because that's what you've been told you're able to do? And what would it look like to be a small fish with a big God. So I ask you to rise as you're able. We're gonna consider this for just about 30 seconds and then I'll close this in prayer. Lord, when I listen to the good gifts that our kids raised money for, it's natural to think, you know, what good does a goat do in a world full of poverty? What good does a basket of 10 chicks do? What good does a rooster do? What good do these small fish, what good can they really do? And yet, knowing what we know about what happens to households that receive them, Lord, it makes a big difference. You take what little we have And you do such great things with them. And so, Lord, I'm grateful that we don't have to strive to become big fish. Lord, we simply be who you've called us to be and trust that you are big enough to do in and through us what we could never do ourselves. Lord, humble us. Call us out of our arrogance. Call us out of our avoidance. So that we would want to and be able to Be the people you've called us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.